Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. Jimmy, some, you know, a little bit of a lull right now uh, for many. Obviously, you had the SEC championship game, all the conference championships, the college football playoff decisions, and you know, there was drama surrounding that, but we've kind of hit a lull a little bit uh, prior to Alabama getting back on the practice field, starting its preparations for Michigan. You got, you know, still a few more weeks. It's only, what, December 13th, so still a while to go before that game actually happens, but we're getting closer, and the coverage for that game is going to be happening. We've, you know, we, Travis and Tim have started to touch on it a little bit. Me and you will touch on it a lot more starting next week. We're going to cover every inch of it. There's so much to look at. And we'll also look ahead a little bit to some of the other teams, not really saying, oh, Alabama's going to beat Michigan, but more so just looking at the other playoff game because how that game plays out, if Alabama were to win, would affect Alabama because that would be, you know, one of those two teams would be Alabama's next opponent for the national championship. So we're going to, we're going to touch on that and talk about that game and, you know, share our thoughts, but for now, what I'm thinking, obviously, you had the news of the All-American list. I think we're still waiting on the ASCA, but we've got the other four and some interesting names. I wouldn't say interesting. I mean, a lot of them are not surprising whatsoever. I think the fact that some were left off on some list, I think the fact that some were second team on some list, I, I think that's really the interesting part of it. We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff as well, but we'll get into these all-american lists you got the sporting news who had uh kool-aid mckinstry and dallas turner's the two first team guys Tyrion arnold as a second team caleb downs as a second team uh jc latham and will reichard both those two guys second team um you know ap kind of similar pretty much the same list but it's a matter of you also had Tyrion arnold make the first team on the ap compared to the sporting news and I'm not going to get into this list and just read it off. People are going to have a hard time keeping track. I, I kind of just, as I was reading, I was like, I bet this is difficult to to follow. The bottom line is, is you had Kool-Aid McKinstry, who made it on to uh, three of the four so far. He was not included on the FWAA, Football Writers Association of America. Uh, you had Dallas Turner, who made all four lists, but he was a second team for the Walter camp, which I thought was surprising. I thought he would be first team. And then you got Terry and Arnold who made two of the lists. You had Caleb Downs make one of them uh, or two of them. Excuse me. You had JC Latham make all four, but he did not have one single first team selection. And then you had Will Reichard make two of the four and he was second team on both of those. So a lot of Alabama players. I mean, obviously the individual awards for a lot of these guys, Alabama fell short. But I think they're pretty well respected in uh, in those who are voting for the All-American list. Yeah, we're so spoiled as Alabama supporters because the number of players that get these honors, uh, it doesn't even raise an eyebrow with Alabama fans in Tuscaloosa. But it is a stunning number to anyone. Go ask 
Kansas, <laughs> you know, go ask Iowa State, go ask Pitt <laughs> what it's like, you know, if it's a big deal to have six or seven players make a first and second team All-American list of, of the most credible organizations that that put together the teams. It's, it's stunning, really. And I know it can be disappointing for Alabama fans that would like to see even more honors. And that's because it's what we're used to under, under Saban, that every year there's this parade of players that get such honors. But it's a really, really big deal. There's other places, Clint, that just have one guy or two guys max, and it's hugely celebrated. Whereas Alabama has a litany or a parade of players, I would like to specially point out guys like Caleb Downs and Terry and Arnold. And this is why, you know, there are preseason All-American lists, and I'm, I'm the guy that pays a lot of attention to that just simply because I devour all college football news. It doesn't have to be Alabama. I just sort of devour all sorts of news. I, I love it when the summer magazines come out and, and, and websites to release their preseason All-American teams. doesn't mean anything, but I'm always interested in the names. You know, okay, who's going to be who's who in this season? Who, who, who are the big names, right? Well, Kool-Aid and Dallas Turner and J.C. Latham in particular, those three, to some extent, Riker. But those three in particular made just about every preseason All-American team. I mean, you know, their names are out there. Uh, the guys that cover the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the ACC – they didn't really have to be told who Kool-Aid McKinstry and Dallas Turner and J.C. Latham were because the offseason hype took care of all that. The All-Americans that I want to give a special shout-out to are the guys that earned it on the field. No one was talking about Terry on Arnold last June and July in, in this context. No one was talking about Caleb Downs. He was a true freshman. He, he was just coming out of, of high school. Uh, those guys in particular – earned the right to be on those teams by having everyone take notice. People would watch Alabama play football and go, wow, look at three on defense. Wow, holy moly, two's a freshman. You got to be kidding me. Now, Kool-Aid Dallas, and I'm not saying Kool-Aid Dallas and JC all coasted in on their reputations. I'm just saying they had a little bit easier path because everybody knows who they were. Everybody knows to look for them, and it's not a surprise. In some instances, I would even say, some postseason All-Americans are sort of penciled in in the preseason. But Terrion and Caleb weren't, and Will Reichard really wasn't. You got you can be a preseason kicker, but you still have to make the kicks. And Will made the kicks. I think he missed three all year. Uh, I, I, special shout-out to the guys that earned their way onto these All-American teams through stellar play that captured everyone's notice. Yeah, I mean, give credit to the guys who lived up to the – expectations and the hype for sure uh not everyone does that so the fact that you got the the jc latham that we were expecting and the dallas turner that you were hoping for as far as that next step i mean he already had the flashes and the potential but just taking that next step in his development was somewhat expected and so you give him a lot of credit for that you give Kool-Aid mckinstry credit for you know he was a guy that people you know knew was a good corner from last year but he continued to build on that or he has continued to build on that and he's continuing to play at an extremely high level N none of those guys got complacent with their success their individual success none of them were draft eligible last year it would have been very simple for any of them to kind of coast a little bit to some degree and just kind of live off their name and the reputation 
but all three have continued to get a lot better. And I think that that's going to be reflected come draft day. But you are a thousand percent correct because because with Tyrion Arnold, I mean, think about this. Think about what Alabama lost in its secondary last year. I mean, Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams, Brian Branch, Kyrie Jackson, Eli Ricks, Traquan Fagans, Jaquez Robinson. The turnover there, and some of those guys were depth guys who moved on and transferred, but there were some big-time contributors there. I mean, Jordan Battle's doing some really good things for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Uh, Brian Branch doing some really good things, some really, really good things for the Detroit Lions. DeMarco Hellams has exceeded his draft status and being a seventh-round pick with the fact that he made the 53-man roster and he's you know been able to contribute. I think they like him and his long-term future there in Atlanta. Uh, you know, a lot of really good players. I mean, Eli Ricks far exceeded the undrafted free agent status that he had, you know, becoming a starter for the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the better teams in the NFL. Everybody knew he had that first round potential, uh, was somewhat of a disappointment last year. It's just as far as the injury slowing him down and him taking a while to adjust to the culture and, you know, the new environment and all those things, but they lose all of that. And yet, you have three players out of the six we're talking about, Cooley McKinstry, Tyrion Arnold, and Caleb Downs, three All-Americans. And I thought I was being very bold going into the year when we did our defensive backs week. And I said my bold prediction was Alabama would have two All-Americans. And I gave myself some outs because I'm like, well, Caleb Downs is a true freshman. And so it's possible that, you know, he could make be a freshman All-American. And so that would technically, you know, suit that. Uh, and you knew you kind of had a lock for one of them, just assuming they didn't implode, and that was Kool-Aid McKinstry. So I thought, okay, I don't think this is too crazy, but it's also still pretty bold. I sold this secondary short predicting two All-Americans. That's how good this group has been. Jimmy, that's, that's phenomenal. It's crazy that you can lose that level of talent and then just replace it I mean, really with better players, which is just, it's a crazy thing to say, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, Alabama not only re- replaced Battle and Branch and Helms and Ricks, and let's also remember depth-wise, you lose Kyrie Jackson, who's, by the way, going to be drafted in the NFL out of Oregon. Uh, you also lose, you know, Fagans and, and Jacquez Robinson to the transfer portal. You have that sort of turnover and then produce three All-Americans at one position group. And we're not even counting Malachi Moore, who I think early in the season, not late, but I thought in September and a lot of October, Malachi Moore was performing at an All-American level, uh, I, I really think. And then I think he got sort of banged up, and, and, and we move him around so much. Uh, he can't help that, but he's the jack-of-all-trades back there, so he gets moved around. But Malachi playing well. Trey Amos playing really well for first-year guy. Jalen Key winning a starting spot coming out of UAB as a one-year starter. Again, we don't talk about that enough. The Jalen Key sat on the bench at UAB for four years before becoming a starter at UAB in his fifth year, then slides into a starting position at Alabama in his sixth year. Uh, but Key, Amos, they were fine. Uh, you know, Malachi Moore was really, really good, especially early. But the other three guys to be All-Americans just – absolutely stunning and hey it's a week from signing day right Nick Saban is is, it's it's time to once again honor Nick Saban the greatest recruiter of all time and that's what it takes to lose the kind of DBs Alabama lost the NFL and then improve one year later that's stellar recruiting 
And uh, no no phrase describes Nick Saban any better than that, right? Stellar recruiting. Yeah, a thousand percent. And, you know, just when you look, it's been the recruiting, it's been the development. Um, you know, Travaris Robinson has done just an incredible job there on the back half of Alabama's defense. And he got a lot out of those guys last year. There was tons of experience. That's one of the things that you liked about the group last year was that, you know, you knew DeMarco Hillams probably was like a day three pick. Uh, you know, I thought maybe he would go a little bit higher than the seventh round, but I thought he had, you know, he was day three material. You saw Jordan battle and you're like, does everything well, but nothing at an elite level, very balanced, steady safety. That's more day two. It's like, if he can kind of emerge and have a really productive year and, and have a great combine and, and those things, maybe he could sneak into the, the day one conversation. But with just the way that safeties are, are treated and viewed, I thought for him, probably Max, it would be second round. Uh, but, and he fell to the third, and that's totally fine. Great value. He's now a starter for the Bengals, and he's doing good things. But, you know, you last year you more so looked at that group, and you're like, you're returning so much production and talent at those spots. You had some question marks as far as your corners. Uh, but you had guys who were ready to step up, but you didn't have guys who had a ton of experience. It was good that they were able to get Kool-Aid McKintree some reps the year before. You you saw Kyrie Jackson late, and that was kind of the assumption for most of the offseason was, was that he was going to be the starter, and Tyrion Arnold kind of just stepped up and took that spot from him. And then you brought in Eli Rex, who had a ton of SEC ex experience. So you had experience all over the place, but the star power, you know, if, if Eli Ricks would have lived up to the first round billing uh, like he has in the NFL, <laughs> uh, then, you know, how, how much different when things have looked. Um, but, you know, I thought when they added Caleb Downs this year, I thought he would be a transformative piece for the secondary. And, he, and in my opinion, he has been. Uh, simply because you do have, I mean, Terry Arnold's development has been huge. You've gotten what you needed to out of Kool-Aid McKinstry. Jalen Keyes been, been a steady starter. Malachi Moore, you know, he's playing like a veteran, tons of leadership, ton, tons of, uh, you know, passion for the game. He's kind of the tone setter in a lot of ways, great communication skills. But Caleb Downs and just what he's been able to provide, you know, playing a little bit of star when you needed him to up there in the box, the fact that he can play, from the safety position, uh, you know, one high, two high, really whatever you need out of him, he can do. And he's he's a playmaker. He's highly intelligent. He's very um, loose in how he plays. I mean, he gets downhill in a hurry. He's a sure tackler. He has been, and what's crazy, I mean, second team All-American, um, it, it truly a, a spectacular performance out of him. A great job. I kind of wonder... I, Malachi Moore's been phenomenal. Don't, do not get me wrong. But if, for whatever reason, Brian Branch would have came back, I would have loved to have seen Caleb Downs and Brian Branch with the versatility that those two guys had. I mean, Brian Branch is one of my favorite players that I've ever seen come through Tuscaloosa. Just, I mean, I understand he fell the second round. I thought he should have been a first-round pick. Will forever be one of the, the most sure-tackling defenders. Can do kind of everything great as far as being a blitzing star. Uh, creating havoc and things like that. And just the way that he plays and the way that Caleb Down, Downs plays, I would have loved to have seen those two uh, roam in the field together. But this Alabama secondary, Jimmy, uh, it, it's been, um, I mean, I, I, I predicted that it was going to be improved. I don't think that was too difficult to predict. 
even though they were losing a ton, you knew that the pieces were there, but it is far exceeded even my expectations. Yeah, I think Caleb is a huge part of that. And I love the Caleb Downs to Brian Branch comp. I think is so they are extraordinarily similar players to me in terms of, you know, uh that they're so versatile in their skill sets. Their safeties, I mean, Brian Branch is in the safeties room for Detroit. I realize he plays a lot of nickel corner there, but he's a safety uh for the Lions, and Caleb is a safety. But they both share traits that allow them to play nickel corner extremely well. Uh, the versatility, the toughness, the ball skills. If you described Brian Branch's game, you would sound like you're describing Caleb's and vice versa. What makes Caleb so, I don't know, like a, you know, extraterrestrial is. This is a crazy opinion to have. I just believe that it's true. I think Caleb Downs is in year one where Branch was in year three. I mean, I mean, I think Caleb just sort of arrived as this polished prospect that's that's a player. Like I say all the time, you're a prospect until you're a player. Caleb showed up a player. now, And that does happen, but it is rare. And Caleb showed up a player. He, he wasn't a – his prospect days were done – the day he stepped off his high school campus and he was, became a college football player that next day. That that just doesn't happen often, but it did here. Him and Branch are really similar. Downs is just more advanced. I mean, again, I, I think he was year three Brian Branch in year one, and it's really scary as to where Caleb might be in year three. I mean, because he is going to get better and better. They're going to hand him more and more responsibility. Uh, in terms of leadership, in terms of being a traffic cop in the secondary, uh, he's going to kind of be expected to be the leader even in year two. Uh, but he's the kind of kid that can carry that. He The hype was through the roof, and he lived up to every ounce of it. There are games that Alabama won uh, because Caleb Downs is on the football team. The fact that he's the leading tackler as a true freshman, again, is stunning, particularly the fact that he plays safety, Clint, it's a bit of an exaggeration to say that a safety that makes 99 tackles saved 99 touchdowns, but it's not really a giant exaggeration. How many of Caleb's 99 tackles, if he didn't get the guy to the ground, would have been a big play or even a score? A whole lot of them. Uh, he, he was absolutely dependable, and uh, he's a Saban bot to the core uh, I'm sure he will be one of Nick Saban's all-time favorites when he when he leaves here. And, uh, heck, I think they said this about LeBron James early in his career. We're all witnesses. And and that's that's what I feel like with Caleb. Like, hey, this isn't normal. I'm, I'm just glad I get to witness this. And I hope other Alabama fans know how special this is. This is not normal. It, it really is not, no. And, you know, I was trying to – I was trying to find – yeah, okay. So what I will say, A, the secondary has been incredible. I mean, just across the board, it, it's been amazing. Like, part of me thought, okay, the fact that Earl Little never was able to get onto the field, and when you did see him early against MTSU, it it didn't look great. The more I've thought about it, the more I've been like, now hold up. This guy was balling out in the spring. 
and I understand guys have strong springs and it doesn't translate. I understand he was working with a second team uh, on a day, but that was due to necessity. Um, and so I don't think that was anything against our little, that was to make the numbers work and they make sure that the key guys who were in that competition were getting the, the action and the reps that they, that they needed to. But when you look at him and it's like, I, I just, I, I think his lack of being able to get on the field is not because, okay, the development just isn't there. Like early on when I saw him, I was like, okay, wow, this guy clearly does not seem like he was ready. I mean, they've had injuries in the secondary, and he hadn't been able to work his way onto the field even when that's happened. And so I think that that's true to a certain extent. But I also think that in most years, Alabama would have trawled by far. Like, get him out there. He's going to have some growing pains, but he's the best that we have. And you would eventually see him kind of Tyrion Arnold-esque last year where he just he, he plays through some things, probably fan, he catches a lot of flack from fans. He gets better each and every week, and he ends up being a really good player by 2024. That's kind of you know what normally would have happened, but Alabama was so deep, and they had everything hit pretty much everywhere else. I mean, everywhere. Malachi was the star that Alabama needed. Caleb Downs was the freshman safety that Alabama needed. Jalen Key was the transfer Alabama needed. Trey Amos comes in as the number three corner, and he's exactly that. He's the best number three corner in college football, in my opinion. Uh, the fact that you can lose a guy and and bring him in against Georgia and you get that type of performance, I don't know how many teams in college football can can get that out of their number three. And I'm not talking about number three defensive back or number three corner when you're talking about, you know, rolling six defensive backs. I mean perimeter corner. I mean, he is their number three guy. He is second on the depth chart right now, but he is viewed as a starter because of his impact and the fact that if he was being asked to play a much more significant role, he would be holding up extremely well. Like just the fact that everything hit the way it was supposed to has been, in my opinion, nothing short of remarkable. Uh, And when you look at the outside linebackers, you know, I will say this about Dallas Turner. Uh, It was expected. Um, You know, he did develop quite a bit this year. But Jimmy, are you not a little bit surprised that Chris Braswell has not received any sort of recognition? Because I understand, you know, Exiting the Iron Bowl, the similarities between Turner and Braswell is pretty wild. So pass rush snaps, Turner was at 266, Braswell was at 267. Only one difference. Pressures, Turner was at 50, Braswell was at 49. Sacks, Turner was at 8, Braswell was at 8. Now granted, you know, Turner was able to build on his against Georgia, even though Braswell had a higher pressure rate. I think he had like four pressures compared to one or two for Turner. Turner was able to convert his into a sack. So he's leading the the two in sacks. But with the way that – is it the fact that Turner got so much preseason recognition why he's a guy who's pretty much, you know, consensus All-American already uh, and Braswell is not even being mentioned on some of these lists? Because I'm not saying that Turner doesn't deserve where he's at. I certainly think that he does. I just don't think that that Braswell should be too far behind him. That's exactly my answer in terms of, okay, why why are they literally uh, a, a dead heat photo finish statistically, yet Dallas gets all these awards and accolades and attention and Braz doesn't seem to get any of it? Uh, my, my answer is, well, like we talked about earlier in the show, these preseason All-Americans 
sort of get penciled in before the year starts. And, uh, and they have a leg up on the guys who shock people on the field. And maybe it's not a name everybody's familiar with. And it just takes a while to gain traction in terms of the media. Let's remember who, who does these all American lists. I mean, the media, uh, some way, some way or another, the media figures out, you know, Hey, who, who should be these guys? Um, and, and it's hard for two on one team. You know, when you're talking about some of the best pass rushers in the country, I know like for instance, uh, because he's in the portal, I've been reading quite about a bit about him, but I mean, the, uh, Texas San Antonio pass rusher, uh, Wilson, uh, he had, I think something like 30 tackles for loss and 15 sacks. Will Anderson, <laughs> and, and I know yes. he's playing group of five football, you know, Trey Moore is his name, by the way, yeah, Trey Moore, not Wilson, Trey Moore. Uh, again, I mean, it, his, his statistical output leaves even our, even Dallas and, and Braz in the dust, but he's doing it against different competition. I just use his name as an example of, hey, there's not many of these edge guys that you can cram onto these first and second teams. You also have Jared Verse. Uh, I, you know, I butcher the kid's name every time, but Liato Latou from uh, UCLA is going to make all these All-American teams. He's going to be a top 10 pick, perhaps. Um, so I guess that's why Braz didn't make it. But Braz will get his reward next April because uh, the NFL scouts are not the media. Uh, they're not limited to how many you can take per position. <laughs> And uh, I don't know that he's going to be a first-round pick. I've seen Chris Braswell in first-round mock drafts lately. I've seen it. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it, but I do think he is now a lock day two guy. And uh, that's how I, I, you know, to me, I look at the draft. I bet you look at it similarly, Clint. We, we have the same opinions on so many things, but I, I don't really look at the draft by round anymore so much as I look at the draft as there's day one and there's day two and day three. Uh, I, th- I think Braz is a is a day two lock that might more likely day one than day three, but that's how much of a, a day two lock he is. And uh, day two guys make a lot of money. They don't make day one money, but they make substantially more money than day three. So uh, Braz will get his reward then. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I think, to an even more extent, but it's kind of like Jordan Battle, uh, where it's like those guys that are drafted on day two, there's still a purpose there. You know, your first round picks, they're going to get all the chances in the world if they end up, you know, coming out the gate slow or whatever. Because they were a day one draft pick and you've got that kind of investment in them, they're going to be given a lot more chances. But uh, your day two guys are every bit as much. We're drafting this guy to be a starter for us. Uh, And, you know, Jordan Battle fell to, you know, day three to the Cincinnati Bengals, but he was drafted as a guy to be uh, the replacement for um, the, the safety who signed with the Atlanta Falcons I'm drawing a blank on the Jesse Bates Bates. Uh, just yeah Jesse had had played for Cincinnati for a while he had been a huge impact player they lose him in free agency to a big contract to the Atlanta Falcons and they drafted Jordan Battle you know not maybe to be an immediate starter for them but that that was their long-term plan we need a safety and so they fully expected Battle to be a starter for them and that's going to be Chris Braswell, like even if he goes on day two, he will be drafted with the expectation of, and I think he's almost an immediate, I'd say immediate, maybe not. He might take the Jordan battle route where it's like he spends the first half of the year kind of seeing some spot action and stuff and and slowly getting acclimated to the NFL. But I think he ends up starting some games in year one uh, and and probably ends up having a bigger impact as a a day two pick than some of your day one pass rushers. Because a lot of times teams, 
will draft based off of traits in the first round, but those guys aren't quite ready. They're more developmental, but they have freaky upside and their ceiling might be a little bit higher than Braswell's, but Braswell is the one that comes out and is an immediate, you know, contributor. Um, and just the fact that he's now 255, the fact that he can set the edge against the run a lot better, he's a lot more comfortable dropping in the coverage when you're playing odd fronts and he's a, you know, playing outside linebacker. I think that he's primed for, you know, a really good, extensive, long NFL career. And so that's, you know, I just thought it was interesting because all the Dallas Turner recognition that's fully deserved. But in my opinion, I think uh, Braswell deserved to, to maybe earn a second team somewhere, which you're right. You know, I haven't really dove into the numbers for everybody else. And sometimes that's that's what ends up happening. But I just thought it was strange. Um, but I, I guarantee you these other All-American teams that really aren't one of the five official ones that, that go into the third team and all that. I'm sure he'll probably be included on some of those. Um, but let's talk a little bit about surprises this year. Uh, you know, biggest surprises because there's been so many of them. I mean, I was kind of working my way through and just kind of jotting some down. And you've got some obvious ones, and I want to touch on those. That's why I kind of brought up the topic. But then there are some other ones that I think have exceeded expectations and stuff, and I want to give them their recognition as well. When I say Jimmy, give me your biggest surprise of the year for Alabama. What name comes to your mind? Well, there's a bunch, and, and it's fun, and it's a great topic, and I think me and you can really dive into it and come up with names that people are like, oh, that's a good answer. But there's one overarching massive answer that overshadows all, and that's Jalen Milrow. I mean, in the sense that, you know, he wasn't a popular choice with the fans spring and summer. He just wasn't. We read the, the the roundtable message board every day and the fan opinions every day. He was not a popular front runner or, or a guy that was often predicted to even win the job. He does win the job and doesn't do well at all in game two. And, and, and basically we can argue semantics, but is benched and then reemerges for game four as, okay, this is going to be the guy we live or die with. And the general reaction from the fans when they hear this was to groan and sort of give up on the season. That was week four. We just completed week, what, 14. So 10 weeks later, Jalen Milrow finishes sixth in the Heisman balloting. I mean, I don't think Hollywood would would accept this script. It would just be too unbelievable and too far-fetched. You know, for Hollywood, they'd go, yeah, right. Uh, but that's exactly what's happened. All five guys that finished ahead of Jalen Milrow in the Heisman balloting will be in the NFL next season, making Milrow <clears throat> nearly a prohibitive favorite to win the Heisman in, in 2024. There, there cannot be a bigger surprise than that. Uh, I think me and you, you know, were very fair the whole time, and I, I think we – I think we were on board with Milrow's ceiling and on board with how good he could be if it all clicked for him. I think we were among the first, really, to to be touting, hey, if it all clicks for him, watch out. And, and we were right, and that's what happened. But I don't think either one of us were predicting this. Uh, his ascent was remarkable and rapid. And I'll be honest, it, it's the reason Alabama is is where they are. It's the reason. Uh, I, I'm, I'm big on Ty Simpson and his future. 
I'm big on Dylan Lonergan and his future. But if Jalen Milrow had uh, broke his leg against Ole Miss back in week four and we didn't get this Jalen Milrow ascent, I'm not going to sit here and say Alabama would be seven and five or eight and four. I don't know. That's way too speculative. But this is not speculative, Clint. Alabama would not be in the playoff. They absolutely would not be where they are. It's due to Jalen Milrow, his improvement and ascent, and is by far the biggest surprise and the best thing that happened to Alabama this season. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, now I will say this. uh, I'm not going to, and and this was me, so this isn't anybody else, but I'm not going to stand up here and act like that I knew Jalen could be this all-world quarterback. Um, I mean, and I don't think anybody really thought, okay, he's going to be this good in 2023. But even still, like we were talking about ceilings of players in the the preseason. And I said that Ty Simpson had the highest ceiling of any quarterback on this roster. And people challenged me on that in my argument because they're like, if Jalen Miro hits his ceiling because of his freaky athleticism, he's got a higher ceiling than Ty Simpson. The problem is that my argument at the time was, okay, if you're comparing Peyton Manning and Michael Vick, Michael Vick had the higher ceiling. If he ever got Peyton Manning's knowledge, which certainly uh, can happen. I mean, your mind will develop. Peyton Manning was never going to be Michael Vick athletically. Like he, that, that just, that, he was never going to be even in the same hemisphere. It doesn't matter how hard he trained or how hard he trod. It is possible that Michael Vick could get to a point where he understood football on the same level as Peyton Manning. But, how realistic is that? Like Michael Vick wins in different ways than Peyton Manning. And would anybody ever say, well, this guy can, you know, I'm going to say that. Yeah. I mean, like if, if you're talking about true realistic ceilings and, you know, as far as developing and pre-snap reads, post-snap reads, know where to go with the football, knowing where all your players are at, knowing how defenses are trying to attack you, all the different things. If you're being realistic, I thought that Ty Simpson had a higher ceiling in that way than Jalen Milrow. And I could not have been more wrong because Jalen Milrow has made such an advancement. And my biggest concern with him was, and I've talked about this already multiple times, actually, just the fact that he looked like a deer in headlights last year. And it just, it, I, typically when you see a guy that the moment's just too big for him to the degree that we saw last year, he made some plays, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't seeing it. He wasn't seeing a pre-snap. He wasn't seeing a post-snap. He was making mistakes. It just, it was like all of the training due to anxiety and, 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 uh, panic during headlights, it just all left him. And when the ball was snapped and he really struggled pretty much from start to finish, Alabama came out with a win, but I thought, I mean, he's going to take, it's going to take a very long time for him to develop to a point where that's not a problem. If he's ever able, able to get over that and he has done it faster than any player that I've ever seen because he still had some of those issues in week one and week two and week three. Uh, I mean, not week three, but week four, like first half against Ole Miss. But the guys just continued each and every week to get better. And I, this is something that I'll always like eat my words on is I'm not going to sit up here and say I was one of those guys that was touting Jalen Milrow. I thought it does. I'd said this many times. It doesn't matter who starts at quarterback for Alabama. They will get serviceable enough play where I think they can compete for a national championship with all the surrounding talent that they had. Now, 
if you would have given me a chance to cash in on those chips and, and, and pretty much, you know, break even after week three, I would have done it. I would have sold every share that I had taken my, my losses, not, and been completely fine with it. Um, you know, I predicted 11, one regular season going into the year. I thought, I didn't think they were going to lose three games. I didn't think they were going to lose four. Uh, I thought that 10 and two, if you would ask me after week two and after week three, what do you think this team ceiling is? I would have probably, I would not ceiling, but where do you think, how do you think this team finishes? I would have probably said, I, th- I do think they drop one more game. I-, I think they continue to get better. I think they build for 2024. So I'm not going to sit up here and act like, you know, um, I-, I own the things that I get right. And I own the things that I get wrong. And Jalen Milrow, I give him just a ton of credit. What's going to happen though, Jimmy, is he's really screwed everyone, everyone. I'm talking about fans. I'm talking about media because people will always use his rate of development and improvement and apply it to others like it's a common thing. Like they'll say, oh, I mean, X players look terrible. I mean, he started two games. He's looked awful. I'm not talking about just quarterbacks. It could be a corner. It could be anybody. It's like, but you know what? Jalen Milrow, look at what he did. He improved just, you know, an astronomical amount in a short period of time. So-and-so can do the same. And it's like, it's a 99.99% chance they're not going to be able to do the same. Because what Jalen Milrow has done this year, as far as improvement, uh, nothing short of spectacular. And it's so rare that I think people are going to try to apply such a rare thing as more of the norm. And that's just not how, that's not reality. Now that's such a good take and observation. So true. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like Jalen Hurts was a good comp for Milrow all along. Um, and here's where I was wrong. about. I think, I think I was right in the sense that Hurts ended up being way better than, than most thought. And in that sense, it's a good comp. And of course they have, a somewhat similar skill set and then their names are jail and they're both from Houston. So there's a, there's a lot of obvious similarities, but this is also, this is, this is the part that just blows me away. I mean, it just, and, and again, this is just my opinion. Others will have a different opinion. I think Milrow is further along. This is his year one. I mean, this is Milrow's year one as a starter. It's only fair to say, to compare him, to Jalen Hurts year one as a starter, which was Jalen's true freshman season. Now, Milrow's a little older. He's a little more mature. But my point being, I think the Milrow that left the Georgia game, if I'm to look back on Hurts' career, and I say, okay, where was Hurts? I mean, when was Hurts as good as Milrow is right now? And there's a big coincidence here to me. I think the Jalen Milrow that left that Georgia game in terms of the kind of player he is on the field is really similar to the Jalen Hurts that left the Georgia game in 2018, his year three, when he came off the bench and beat Georgia in substituting for Tua who was hurt. We didn't get to see a lot of Jalen Hurts that year because Tua was the starter, rightfully so, and Jalen was really his backup, and we didn't get to see a lot of Hurts. But the Hurts we saw and the Hurts that came in to beat Georgia, he was ready to be a dude. He would have been a dude. Now, he probably wouldn't have been as good as Tua because Tua's a freak, and we all knew that. 
you know, back then, again, I'm not re-arguing who should have been the quarterback. I'm just saying Hertz was Hertz was a good story in 16 and 17. He was a dude in 18. He was just the backup. And then in 19, when Hertz was gone, he was playing quarterback at the level that he could have, should have won a Heisman Trophy. That's where Milrow is right now. And that, to me, is the most remarkable thing about Jalen's performance this year. I think early in the year when I was saying, you know, he's a lot like Hertz, uh, you would get derided for that, mocked for it a little bit because he hadn't played as well as what people, especially the Jalen Hurts we see now. But the point is, I think he ended the year, man, where Hertz was at the end of his year three. And Milrow was also at the end of his year three. He just didn't get all of Hertz's experience that Hertz was able to accumulate in 16 and 17, which helped Hertz become such a good player in 18. I think that's what's incredible to me. That's how rapid the ascent is. He started the year Hertz 16, ended the year Hertz 18, and now next year is his Hertz 19, a year in which Jalen Hurts finished second in the Heisman Trophy balloting and was a second-round pick in the NFL draft. I think Milrow is on the precipice of achieving those tight things and maybe even more. Like I think the number one thing with Milrow or with Hertz compared to Milrow is the fact that Hertz from the jump just had this calmness about him. Like things could go wrong and he was fine. Like he didn't let it get to him. I think early on, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, Jimmy, but the first time you get hit in the face and it's like, you've built it up to be this thing. It's like the whole world's coming to an end. If it happens and you're kind of, when it happens, you're like, that was it. Like let's, and then you want to fight everybody. You're like, that wasn't as bad as I thought. It's kind of the same thing with Milrow where it's like, I think he's figured out as time has gone on. Hey, when I throw this interception, if I do make a poor decision and I, and I turn the football over, whatever, it's not the end of the world. It wasn't a good thing but we can move past it. It's not a big deal. Um, I think Hertz had that a lot earlier in his career, but Milrow has now gotten to that point where he's had to figure it out through the criticism. And just, it's like it, at a certain point, there were so many people against him. It's like, I mean, how many people are really in my corner? I got to be in my own corner and I got to, you know, believe in myself. And once he reached that point and he kind of, I think it's kind of helped him that he didn't have to rely on anybody outside, you know, outside of family and friends and coaches and things like that. Everybody outside of that building and, and at his house, uh, he didn't need the approval of anybody else. He believed in himself. He knew he was capable. And I think that that was really a game changer uh, for him. Um, you know, some other guys, I mean, obviously Jalen Miro is the biggest one because of his impact. And the way that he's improved, but I will say I f- I feel like that the the that next tier of guys, which there are going to be several that we're going to talk about, but that next tier, there's two of them. It's Tim Keenan, who has been that guy pretty much from the start of the year, and it's Jaden Roberts, who didn't become the starter until the Texas A&M game. But it's it's wild. It's like the defensive line with Tim Keenan, the improvement of Tim Smith certainly helped. Uh, you know, Justin Aboyby coming back from a neck injury. I think he's been a big surprise, the the level of impact that he's been able to make. 
but just the guys coming out of nowhere. Like Tim Keenan has kind of been buried as like a third or fourth string guy for the last couple of years. And then he not only climbs into the rotation, he climbs to the top of the depth chart, and he's one of the more consistent, impactful defensive linemen on the roster. Like that just that wasn't something that a whole lot of people were expecting. And then you look at Jaden Roberts, yet again, a third string guy who it's like, I liked him coming out of high school. He wasn't overly recruited. Like he was a top, I think, 300 player, but he was down there, I think, in the 250 range ish, uh, four star player. And, you know, so you, you knew there was some potential there, but it just, it, you had seen him for a couple of years and things just hadn't really been panning out. He hadn't really been taking any steps forward on the depth chart or, you know, earning his way into the rotation. And it's like, you know, he's kind of one of those players like Anquin Barnes, no offense to him whatsoever. But when the portal opened up, it's like, that's not a shock at all to me. If Jaden Roberts hadn't got his opportunity and Jaden Roberts would have entered the transfer portal well, at the same time Anquin Barnes would have, it would have been the same situation. It would be like, I understand. Like he, he gave it a couple of years. He wasn't moving up the depth chart. And he, he I, I, I don't blame him at all. And it's a very fortunate that that ended up not working out that way because Alabama, their entire offensive line has been so different with him in the lineup. Uh, and so those two guys in the trenches have certainly been huge surprises and have made a major contribution to Alabama being in the national title hunt right now. Now, I love those answers of Jaden Roberts and Tim Keenan, and, and this is why. There's other names of guys who might have surprised some people, like, for instance, Isaiah Bond, uh, Jermaine Burton, uh, having the seasons that they both had. Some people might say, well, I didn't see that coming, or they were better than I thought they would be. Uh, that's fair. Uh, I would say somebody like Justin Aboigby uh, that had the season he had. That might be a surprise to some people. It was a little bit of a surprise to me in terms of the, the level of productivity. Surprised me a little bit. How about Jihad Campbell, an inside linebacker who had a 14-tackle game, uh, who was really a key player in Alabama's front seven most of the year? That might have surprised some people. But to be honest, I, I wasn't shocked at any of that. I, I thought, you know, they all took a step forward in what I expected to be really good careers, all of them. The shock or the surprise to me is more like the guys you said. I did not see this coming for Jaden Roberts in the preseason. He was not a guy that I thought would be a starter this season. I wasn't sure he would be a starter in any season based on what he had accomplished or more specifically not accomplished at Alabama until this season. And Tim Keenum was a guy this spring and summer, Clint, we weren't talking about him in terms of, okay, this is where I think the defensive line rotation is going to look like. And me and you covered that really well all summer. Like, hey, we're going to play probably six guys as, as part of that first team rotation on the defensive line. And here's the six who, who that we think it's going to be. We didn't include Keenan, you know, even in the top six, much less the top three, as he ended up being, you know, a regular starter. So Keenan, Tim Keenan and Jaden Roberts were big surprises, as big as anything on the team other than Milrow. And while there are other players that might have had a surprising level of production, the Bonds, the Burtons, the Aboigbees, uh, the Jihad Campbells, uh, I don't think me or you were surprised. Uh, not really. I mean, I was like, well, we 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 told you guys they'd be good, uh, so we're not surprised <laughs> that they are good. Uh, it was just a normal. These kids improve year to year. You know, all the kids that will come back next season, most of them are likely to be one year better, and they're all going to be 
better, more productive a year from now. Uh, so I'm not surprised by those type guys. But Roberts, Keenan, shocks. And, and, and not only shocks, Clint, responsible for where we are. Because I'm not sure Alabama gets to the playoff and has this type season without the emergence of Jaden Roberts solidifying the offensive line, without the emergence of Tim Keenan helping Alabama improve significantly as a run defense. Yeah, I mean, and the importance of these two guys in this upcoming playoff game against Michigan and just the way that Michigan likes to play. Uh, Tim Keenan, not you know, against Auburn, his impact's going to be limited because of what Auburn likes to do, especially what they wanted to do against Alabama. Um, you know, that that didn't lend itself for Tim Keenan to have a major impact. It's like you see the rushing yards and stuff, and it's like uh, Alabama's been a really strong interior run defense for the entire year. And so you think, okay, well, Auburn ran all over him. Tim Keenan must have not had a very good day. Uh, Tim Smith must have not had a very good day. And it's like, really, they just didn't have many opportunities to make plays. I mean, they they kind of did they play their best football? No, but when you go back and watch, I mean, I don't think a lot of I saw a lot of criticism towards the defensive line in that Iron Bowl, and I just didn't see it to the degree that it, they were getting it. I mean, I'm not saying they played great, like I said, but uh, so. You know, Jalen Milrow is in a tier of his own because I don't think we've ever seen a player, at least me personally, who made the sort of development that he did in the amount of time that he has. So that just, as far as being the biggest surprise, that has to be the biggest shocker. Like this, I, I think we'll go a very long time and not see a player, especially at the quarterback position where it entails so much, make the kind of growth and improvement that Milrow has. That second tier to me is Jaden Roberts and Tim Keenan, and that is 100%. That's who you got to include. Uh, they both were shocking as far as their climb up the depth chart. It took a couple of injuries for, for Jaden Roberts to get his opportunity. And his first test, I mean, against Texas A&M, imagine, I mean, imagine that moment when it got announced, hey, they're going to be without Dalcourt, they're going to be without Terrence Ferguson. Jaden Roberts is getting his first career start on the road in College Station against Texas A&M's defensive front. I mean, that's just, it, it wasn't quite 2021 Georgia SEC championship where it's like you're looking at Georgia's defensive front against Alabama's struggles with their offensive line where you're like, they're in big, big trouble. It wasn't maybe quite there, but it was close as far as the feeling like, man, that's something that you know Texas A&M is going to be able to exploit. Uh, you know, at the time, it was only, what, game six? So Jalen Milrow hadn't shown a, a ton of distance between him and making some ill-advised throws or decisions. He had one in that game. Uh, but, you know, it's like I thought that it would be a big problem, that he would end up being forced into some poor decisions, and it was going to cost Alabama, uh, not maybe necessarily the game, but it was going to cost Alabama some points, some yardage, whatever, uh, some opportunities. So just, I mean, hats off to him, hats off to Tim Keenan and their impact. And then you've got that next tier. And you already started hitting on some of those. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring up. I wrote a couple of these down and I thought you hit on some more that were, you know, pretty big, but like Jermaine Burton, you know, were we, were, were we shocked that he was part of the rotation? No. Am I shocked that he's the number one receiver or co-number one receiver with Isaiah Bond? Yes. Like I thought that with where things were trending, he would have a hard time keeping his spot in the rotation. I about said, I, I won't be shocked if he's in there. He came back for another year. He didn't transfer. He didn't go to the NFL draft. I'd be shocked if he completely fell out of the rotation. Uh, but at the same time, 
I also didn't expect him to be a, a top three guy with the way things were trending and especially with the way he's been impactful. Like it's not just, you know, like last year, uh, he was one of the top guys as far as targets and receiving yards and receptions, but you didn't feel like he was this super impactful player. Like he wasn't a game changer like he was this year. And so it's been different. I think Roydell Williams at running back has been a surprise. I mean, this is, was a guy that, you know, I was talking about the emergence of Justice Haynes and I was talking about, you know, uh, the development of Jam Miller and the fact that both of those two guys are going to deserve quite a few opportunities in the run game. And then you got Jace McClellan, who was kind of a co-starter last year in a lot of ways behind Jameer Gibbs. And it's like, okay, that's three running backs. You knew it wasn't going to be four. And so who's the odd man out? And, and you know, despite him being a veteran presence, I was like, I, got, I hate it because he, he should be one of the top three guys, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was Roydell Williams. And not only has Roydell consistently been the number two guy all year, he's been playing really good football as of late. Jace McClellan missing the Georgia game was, you know, it, it should have been a much bigger impact than it ended up being. And the reason it wasn't is because Roydell Williams is playing really good football right now. Uh, and the other one, that I wrote down and wanted to mention and give credit to is Jalen Key, because I will be the first to admit the way I view Jacquez Robinson and Trey Quan Fagans entering the transfer portal. And then you go out and you add Trey Amos and you add Jalen Key. In my opinion, I was like, wow, that's phenomenal upgrading to your depth. But I viewed them as depth. I said they will have their opportunities. Nick Saban did not, or Alabama in general did not say, Hey, come be a depth guy for us. And I thought they would get their chances, but I thought, okay, I think it was, you don't want to just go out and add another body out of the transfer portal. You want to get the best players you possibly can. And these were two guys who could actually help your football team from a depth standpoint. But I didn't think that Jalen key would end up being the starter. I thought it would be Malachi Moore at safety next to Caleb downs. And I thought it'd be Earl little at star. And I thought key would be, it would be key and Amos kind of battling it out for that six defensive back role not only is key you know not only did he win the job from week one despite the fact that he wasn't in town for too long that he didn't enroll until the summer but he has been a steady player he's missed some time he's had some some lumps he's made some bad decisions he's been criticized for it but just considering where i thought he would be as far as being a key depth piece and a good player he's been a much more impactful starter than I originally gave him credit for going in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If I had like a third surprise, I would lump those two together like you did. Like, I, I, I felt the same way. You don't want to be too critical when you, when you took them in because you don't know until you know. But with what Alabama lost in the portal at defensive back, and then you're bringing in a guy who sat on the bench for four years at UAB before becoming a starter in year five, and a cornerback from Louisiana Lafayette and Trey Amos, my honest, you know, honestly, I thought, okay, I like this because we needed some DBs, and what if we get a couple of turned ankles back there? And now you're bringing in some guys with some playing experience. So if we get a couple of turned ankles, this may look really smart. But like you, Clint, I thought they were depth pieces. I, I thought Alabama had six guys that I felt really good about to fill all the first team roles, you know, four and regular, and then a fifth guy for nickel and a sixth guy for dime. I thought Alabama had those guys in place. I am surprised to this day that Jalen Key and Trey Amos both ended up being in the top six. 
which was true. J- Jalen Key ended up being top four or five, and Amos was the sixth defensive back all year long and then played a critical role off the bench when, uh, like you said earlier in the show, when Kool-Aid got banged up. But the fact that Trey Amos and Jalen Key transferred to Alabama last summer from a group of five schools, and, and me and you both thought, and I certainly did, that they were just going to be replacing the depth that Alabama lost in the portal when Fagans went to USC and Robinson went to Colorado. Uh, the fact that they ended up being starters and good players. And we're not done with Amos. I mean, I'm assuming Trey Amos will return. And if so, I suspect he will be an every-down starting cornerback for Alabama in 2024 and a darn good one. Uh, I, I, to me, it's the number three surprise. One is Milrow. Number two, I would group together Roberts and Keenan because they're a line of scrimmage guys. And number three, I would group together Amos and Key as my third biggest surprise uh, in terms of of this season. And fourth, I'll just make a quick mention because we don't do a lot of special teams. Uh, I thought James Burnup would be improved over last year. James Burnup was monstrously improved. And there were times earlier in the season, Clint, we were discussing whether James Burnup might not be the best punter in the country and that Alabama certainly featured the best duo of kicker-punter in the country in Reichard and Burnup. I think Burnup faded a little bit late. Not that he was terrible. He still wasn't terrible. He just wasn't quite as good, I don't think, in like games 10, 11, and 12 as he was in the first nine. But Burnup's big, like I said, they all take a step forward. Burnup took a huge step forward and became, in my opinion, an elite punter. And uh, I'm hoping the kid returns next year if he does and makes one more step forward. Alabama may very well have the best punter in all of college football, and uh, that's a real weapon. Yeah, I mean, J.K. Scott, they had it for a while, and it certainly was beneficial in some some pretty key games. So I, I agree with you there. That's a great point on burnup. And, and, you know, getting back to the transfer portal and just, you know, Trey Amos and Jalen Key, the importance of Amos, if you do lose Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold, the fact that you can pretty much lock at one of those spots with with a guy you know is going to be a quality player, and then you build from there is, I mean, it, not having a, a sure thing. I mean, looking at Des Ricks, who has got a, a ton of talent. Antonio Kite's a talented guy. Uh, Jaleel Hurley, I mean, if as long as he remains it as a perimeter corner, throw him in that mix as well. They're all talented players who I think at least one of them, if not, you know, if, if everything hits all three, but at least one of them is going to turn into a really good player. But that unknown factor, and Alabama probably would have targeted, you know, the corner position and the transfer portal and still might. I mean, I don't know what they end up doing there. Uh, they're bringing in some really talented guys who might be able to start from day one in this 2024 recruiting class. But, you know, I will say, I mean, look at what LSU did. They went and tried to revamp completely their secondary with a bunch of transfers, and it didn't work out. And they they added some pretty darn good ones. And so, you know, quarterbacks are hitting at a pretty decent rate out of the portal. Uh, there's been some positions that have, have treated teams well. Defensive back, um, I don't think it's been – I'm trying to think of who's just been a dominant – you know, transfer in, in the secondary. And I have to go look. I mean, I don't keep up with all the teams in college football. Uh, to the same degree that I do Alabama, but I will say I'm trying, 
I would be curious to know Ky- who Kyrie Jackson's a good answer. <laughs> that's actually, yeah, that's, Kyrie Jackson's a pretty good answer. Yeah, that's that's a, and I, and I, w- I wouldn't say elite, but yeah, I mean, he's certainly been up there as a quality starter and been a good player for Oregon. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I, is there anybody in the country who had two like Alabama did that came in and were, you know, even though Amos has not been a full, you know, uh, full-time every down starter or player it's gone some games where he didn't see a whole lot of action uh he's been every bit he's been everything you could have asked out of him and Jalen Key's been everything you could ask out of him and so you know I think from an evaluation standpoint and getting those guys in and getting them as far as adopting the culture and all that stuff I mean it was big what uh what Alabama was able to do and, and give those two guys a lot of you know credit um very quickly, we'll just touch on this. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but we haven't had a chance to really talk too much about the transfer portal. We did with Travis last week, but I do want to get your thoughts when you're, I mean, obviously there's going to be so much that changes as far as, you know, guys are going to enter the portal. I mean, that the, the Fagans Robinson departures were pretty darn late last year. And so there ended up being a need for a couple of defensive backs as a result of that but as things sit right now what are some positions that maybe you're looking at as a possible uh target for alabama to maybe add somebody in the transfer portal um i would say the front seven uh is one you know i I think alabama could stand i mean to me it's defensively because i'm projecting a lot of the offense to return uh, you know, a ton of the, I mean, you know, you're good at back, you know, you're good at quarterback, a lot of receivers back, all three of your main tight ends are back. Uh, in terms of guys, you know, you only want to go to the portal if you need a starter or a guy that's going to heavily figure in your rotation. So in my mind, all the focus will be on defense. I think a defensive lineman, LT Overton from A&M is coming in this weekend, apparently. Uh, he's an interesting name because we know the upside there. Uh, I think he can be an interior pass rusher. I know he wants to play on the edge, and maybe he will play on the edge. I mean, this is a a, a talented kid that I'm sure they can sort of play where he wants, but uh, I see him as as a potential real weapon as an interior pass rusher uh, or used similarly to how Alabama used Justin Aboigby, uh, who, who was really sort of an outside rusher uh, for Alabama this season. But I, I think Overton on the defensive line would be interesting. I think outside linebacker, uh, just because you're losing Turner, Braswell, and uh, Q Robinson, Quindarius Robinson, he, uh, you know, he he uh, went through senior day, you know, and and is he going to be back? I mean, I, I don't think that's ever been announced or determined. So you might be looking at pass rusher outside, uh, and since you're losing Turner and Braz and maybe even Quindarius Robinson, and then DB because look how many DBs you're losing, Malachi probably, Jalen Key definitely. And of course, uh, McKinstry probably, Terion probably. Uh, you're losing all those guys. So, in my mind, uh, transfer portal focus in terms of of recruiting guys out of the portal to Alabama, to me, it would all be defense. But I wouldn't take too many. I think three is a great number myself. With five being sort of a hard cap, uh, I know it's easy to just want this guy, and want this guy, and want this guy. I'm going to be the cold wet blanket that reminds everybody that there's still a rule about you only have 85 scholarships to give out. And I know these guys do make NIL money, but, uh, you know, it's Alabama. We recruit the best of the best. And these kids, 
they're not being greedy when they want a scholarship and NIL money, not one or the other. <laughs> they want both, and they're expecting both, uh, the really good players. So uh, you got to be careful about how, the numbers you're bringing in. Uh, but uh, I, I would say three and, and all on defense in terms of the way I, I look at the roster. Yeah, and and I think that you made some really good points there, and I agree with you. I think the offensive line could be an area too. It depends on, you know, obviously Jordan Seaton committing to Colorado that, you know, they were hoping for a tackle in this class. I still think that it's a very strong possibility that they get one, but it's like, you know, is, is that player someone that they view as someone that can come in and contribute right away? It's possible. But one thing that I've noticed about Nick Saban and the way that he attacks the transfer portal, there haven't, hasn't been too many spots where they've added someone and people have been like, that makes, that makes sense. Right. Uh, it, it seems like it's always met like last year. What do they do? They go out and they add Tresman Marshall. It's like, wait a minute. We got Jahad Campbell, we got Sean Murphy. We got like, and we got Deontay Lawson. Like you're going to risk some of these younger guys hitting the transfer portal and leaving. If you're bringing, since you're bringing in this guy to start or you're giving him every opportunity to start, or, you know, you look at, you know, last year, I think more a lot of people were on board with Jameer Gibbs because of the electric ability that he has and the talent and all that stuff. But it's like Alabama, from an experience standpoint, after they lost Brian Robinson Jr., Jason McClellan had played some. Roy Dell Williams had played some, but they were both coming off injuries. They had not played a ton. The career carries. Trey Sanders was the guy who had played a little bit, but had you know had not assumed any sort of big major role. You're bringing in Jamarian Miller, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's like they they lacked experience at that spot and they wanted it. So they go get one of the best running backs, the best running back in the transfer portal in Jameer Gibbs. Uh, you look at, I mean, there's been so many different positions that you could say this with, um, you know, <clears throat> even a guy like Tyler Steen. Some people are like, hey, get J.C. Latham out there. You, you just signed the two top tackles in college football. Get them out there, at least one of them. Let them start. Alabama says, no, we want the experience. Let's go get Tyler Steen, an experienced SEC tackle. And so you look at some of these spots, and I would view outside linebackers. It's the main reason I'm bringing this up, because you've got the young talent, a lot of it, in Keon Keeley, Yonze Pierre, and Quay Rousseau. And those three guys have a ton of upside long-term a ton and it's possible that those one of those guys two of those guys or maybe even all three are ready to contribute next year now you've got the deepest outside linebacker room in college football but it, it's kind of the same situation as inside linebacker and in the way that it's viewed just a year ago they went out they they had lost a couple of key players and henry toto and jalen moody they liked Deontay Lawson, but he was had kind of been a part-time player gotten some starts they felt good about him stepping up and becoming a starter but instead of saying, yeah, and we got all this young talent, let's throw one of them out there. They said, we want to have that balance between the young stud who we're trying to develop and a seasoned player who can be kind of the guy, at least in the beginning. Maybe it ends up lasting the whole season, but we need to have experience depth on this football team at this particular spot. And so they go get Tresman Marshall. And everybody questioned it. And granted, with the way Jai Campbell was played, there's a lot of people like, why'd you go get Tresman Marshall? Well, Campbell missed the start of the year, and he has gotten better each and every week. But I think the fact that he was able to kind of slowly work his way in with more and more reps and kind of platoon things, 
certainly helped. Um, and so outside linebackers, a spot that I would look at there, I think, you know, offensive line potentially, and granted, uh, you know, Tim and bone and Joseph, these are the guys who are really keeping up with it, but I'm just looking from a roster standpoint and just covering the team. Like I do kind of what my thoughts are. And, and we don't know who's leaving secondary. certainly seems like a, a spot where it's going to be targeted because of the losses that you could potentially have. Um, I, th- I think inside linebacker is really interesting because it's, it's, you know, you've got Deontay Lawson hopefully coming back. You've got Jahad Campbell. You still got Sean Murphy. They've recruited. I mean, I want to say they have like four off ball linebackers currently committed. Uh, so the depth is being replenished They're adding some bodies there, but then they're entertaining, you know, uh, Chris Paul, the Arkansas linebacker. And I think just the fact that you've, you know, Jalen Moody, you kept him on the roster a couple of years ago. You got Henry Toto out of the portal, and he ended up being an impactful player. You got Mood, or, uh, uh, Marshall, who ended up contributing. They they like this experience factor at inside linebacker, and they like having plenty of it. But that would be another spot that I would look at as well. And with the defensive line, kind of a similar situation too. Uh, you know, you lost, you're losing Tim Smith and Justin Aboyby. And a guy like LT Overton, the fact that he can play and be kind of a bigger edge in Kevin Stills' defense, that's kind of what he prefers out there. Uh, But he has some interior traits, and I think you're right. I don't think he's a huge fan of playing on the interior. Like, I went and looked at a lot of his snaps and and watched some of his tape for A&M this year, and it seems like I was shocked at how little he played inside. I mean, just a, a a few snaps here and there. Otherwise, he was pretty much, and he's 6'5", 265. I think if he gets up back up to that 275, 280, he could be a really big heavy end uh, that can kick inside some. But I could also see him not playing a lot inside too. So we'll, we'll see how that ends up shaking out if he decides to come to Alabama. But that is an, an early name we've been hearing. So just wanted to touch on the transfer portal a little bit uh, and kind of share our thoughts. And I'm sure we'll continue to do that as things develop. But, Jimmy, uh, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Is there anything else you want to add before we hop out of here? No, just looking forward to uh, other shows. It's a unique uh, sport we have where you qualify for the postseason, and then it's like, awesome, see y'all in 30 days. That's just so weird. But it's always been this way, and I guess we're sort of used to that weirdness. But, hey, all this downtime, portal, signing day, practice for Michigan, you beat Michigan. Now you've got a super quick turnaround to play in the Texas Washington winter. A lot of exciting stuff. Great time to be a member at BAM Online and watch all the uh, all the shows that uh, that Clint helped put together here on the YouTube channel. Uh, great stuff. So uh, we appreciate everybody that listens and, and supports us. And uh, we hope we uh, help inform all you guys. Absolutely, man. Uh, couldn't have put it any better myself. We love doing this. And it's kind of we get we we took a little bit of a step back this week um where we're going to after this video just kind of let things simmer down a little bit we're going to be doing the three for three with travis that's definitely coming and travis is doing a ton of stuff like it's not just us i just mean me and you hopping on here just the two of us we'll get back to it next week and have a couple of videos and really we're just we're going to be not only looking at the the texas uh um Washington game, but we're going to be looking at Alabama, Michigan and covering that from all angles, breaking down the college football playoffs. It's going to be fun. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. 
Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you. We'll do this again soon.